worship by remembering and praying for various needs in the life of our congregation, in our own lives. I want to remind you a few things to be praying about as a congregation. Um, Let's continue to pray for this week as we engage in Vacation Bible School. I know it will be a very active time, a very hectic time, a very engaging time. It's a great opportunity for us to minister to the children of our community, to the families of our community. Um, So far, I think we have about 70-plus children that have signed up. And uh, I know many of you have already and are planning to be with us and have joined us and have signed up to be with us and serve. But I need all of you to do something very special. I need all of you here this morning, whether you have submitted or signed up to serve or not, I need all of you to commit to pray daily for Vacation Bible School this week. Whether you can be here physically or not, doesn't matter. Wherever you are, would you commit to pray for Vacation Bible School this week? The theme that our children will be studying is the call of God. We pray that through various activities and joyful singing and all kinds of things we will do together, above all things, the call of God will be manifested in the lives of these children. And they will come to know of the, of the God who calls them to his wonderful salvation. Would you pray that God would use this Vacation Bible School to, to do a special work of, of, of communicating and revealing himself to these, these children? Then also, let's pray for um, Shirley and Carl Van Ryswick. Many of you know that Shirley has been um, battling with a, a disease that cannot be diagnosed. Um, Carl and Shirley this morning are en route to Mayo Clinic and will be there this next week. Um, let's pray, especially this week, that God would, would do something special, something unique, that, that God would, would grant healing, that God would give wisdom to doctors to identify what's going on and, and provide a, a way of, of healing for Shirley. But I encourage you to pray for them even throughout this week, and we'll be praying for them together this morning. Also, continue to pray for the direction um, that we are seeking from God in regards to uh, the, the, the theme of biblical leadership in the life of the local church. Next week, we'll, we'll have a Q&A time, a second Q&A time on the topic of a plurality of elders or, or pastors or shepherds. Um, last time, we had a wonderful time in which many of you have brought your questions. This time, I encourage you to submit your questions ahead of time, either by email or by writing them on a piece of paper and just bring it to the church office, put them under my door. We would love to do that as a way to organize our discussion better and make it more effective and efficient. Uh, but we look forward next Sunday after our uh, church body meeting to have another Q&A of, uh, of considering together where we are and what God calls us to do in, in, terms, of, uh, in terms of the plurality of, of pastors and shepherds. So pray that God would guide us as a congregation in this process as well. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. We'll have a few moments of silent prayer where we encourage you to pray for whatever is going on in your heart, and we'll pray together as a body. Father, what a joy it is to be reminded that you, that you are the Almighty God. Father, to be reminded of the means by which you, a holy God, can receive us sinners through the sacrifice of Christ. Father, this morning our people, your people, gathered in your name, seek your face and ask of you to, 
to come through, to intervene, to work in, in the lives of, of our members, in the lives of, of, of what's going on in our church. Lord, we pray that you would, you would work through the ministries and through the activities that are happening in the life of this congregation even this week. Father, we intercede and ask that you would, would work in a special way in this week's Vacation Bible School. Lord, what a joy and opportunity and an honor it is to serve the children of our community. And Father, we lift them up. We will pray that as, as these children come this week, day after day, to be a part of, of this Vacation Bible School, we pray, Lord, that they would encounter not only friends, not only godly teachers and, and people, but that they would encounter you. They would come to know you, that they would come to know the call that you give to every one of us. Father, we pray that you bless the teachers. We pray that you bless those who will be serving in the Vacation Bible School. We pray that you bless them with great love, patience, kindness, that by the way we serve these children, we will be a, an exhibit of your love towards them. Father, we commit these, this VBS to you, and we pray that you would be exalted and honored through it. Father, we also pray for the members in our congregation who suffer in their, in their bodies in various ways. We pray that you grant healing to Mike Huckabee. We pray that you grant healing to Shirley Van Rijswijk. And especially we pray for her as she's traveling to, um, to Rochester this morning. We pray that you would grant her healing. We pray that you would grant this visit to be effective. We pray that you give doctors wisdom to diagnose well and provide a, a treatment that will be effective and useful. Above all things, Lord, we know that you are the great physician we ask that you would be the one who would touch her body. We pray that, that you would protect the Van Rijswijk family. Lord, we also pray for us as a congregation that you would guide us and give us discernment and leadership as we consider from your word the biblical model of, of how churches should be pastored and shepherded. Father, we pray that you give us wisdom, give us discernment, give us unity, give us love for one another as we consider this conversation Lord, we pray that we would be guided by your Spirit and that we would do what you would desire for us to do. Father, we commit ourselves to you this morning. And we pray also, not only for us, but we pray for other Christians that gather this morning in your holy name. We pray for churches that gather this very moment to exalt the name of Jesus. Father, this morning we intercede and pray that you would also work in mighty ways for First Baptist Church of Oak Hill. We pray that you would do great things with them. We pray that your grace would be poured out upon them. We pray that you would do a, a work of, of great renewal in the community of Oak Hill through the ministry and witness of First Baptist Church there. Father, I pray also for their elders and for their pastor, um, Rob Satterfield. I pray that you would bless his preaching ministry and his shepherding as he considers and continues to be faithful to you. Father, we commit all believers and all churches this morning into your, your hand. We pray that you would be exalted through their testimony and through their ministry in the city and all throughout the earth. And Father, now to, as we prepare ourselves to bring our tithes and offerings, we desire to bring to you a, a portion of what you have given to us. Lord, we pray that you, you would use these gifts. We pray that you would use them for the spread of the gospel, both through the ministry of this church, but also to the ends of the earth. Father, to you who are able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to your power that is at work within us, to you be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. It's a joy, friends, to 
seek the Lord in prayer and to worship Him as a body. We'll continue our time this morning by worshiping God with our tithes and offerings. If you're a guest, this time is especially, we encourage you to turn in your guest card. And uh, as we sing the next song, let's, uh, let's prepare our hearts for the preaching of God's Word. Let's continue to worship the Lord. Give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks because He's given Jesus Christ His Son. Give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks because he's given Jesus Christ his Son. And now let the weak say, I am strong. Let the poor say, I am rich because of what the Lord has done for us. strong. Let the poor say I am rich because of what the Lord has done for us. Give thanks. What a beautiful way to respond to the Lord's Supper and to shout in thanksgiving to God for what He has done for us. Friends, it is indeed great to be back home. It's great to be back here with you. Thank you for your prayers, uh, for safety and rest. We had a great time visiting uh, my parents in Ohio. Prior to that, I was able to attend the Southern Baptist Convention this, uh, this or a few weeks ago in Columbus, Ohio. Had a great time there. And I'm encouraged to see what God is doing across this nation in, 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 in Baptist churches. Pray, continue to pray that God would, uh, would strengthen our churches with strong and faithful and bold witness for the gospel. Um, one of the encouraging sessions we had at the convention was um, a panel discussion on the issues related to how should we respond to, the, to homosexuality and to the, the sexual revolution that we find ourselves in. It was a great panel. Um, we'll be sending a link to all of you to consider watching it online. Also, there will be an event here at the Austin Stone uh, at the end of July. Strongly encourage you to consider participating. Um, we'll be addressing issues. The conference will be addressing issues. How we as Christians can, can be prepared and what kind of answers we should be able to give. So just want to plant a seed in your mind. Make plans to, uh, to attend this uh, conference at the end of July. We'll have some announcements in the emails for that. Well, also thank God for those who preached God's Word in my absence. Um, I, I thank God for the way God has fed you over the last three weeks through His Word.
This morning, I am delighted to be back and uh, pick it up again in the book of Acts. And uh, ironically, surprisingly, this is the last chapter. This is the last passage we'll, we, we will read from the book of Acts. I know it's been a long time. I encourage you to open the Bibles um, to the book of Acts chapter 28. I will be reading from verse 11 through uh, 31. If you did not bring a Bible with you this morning, uh, you are invited, welcome to use a Bible provided in a chair in front of you. You may find this passage on that Bible um, on page number 937. As you turn there, let me remind us of the context. I know it's been three weeks. It's been a long time. I want to remind you of what's been going on in the previous chapter, chapter 27. Um, we have seen that Paul was on his way to Rome, but on this journey to Rome, he encountered a number of life-threatening obstacles um, from nature, both a, a horrendous storm that actually shipwrecked the entire uh, ship, and also Paul in chapter 28 uh, was bitten, or was a, a viper, poisonous viper has fastened to his hand, and the people of Malta um, were expecting and awaiting for Paul to just fall down and die. And amazingly, God has protected Paul's life, both from the shipwreck, but also from this poisonous bite of, 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 of a viper. God showed Paul great favor, not only by preserving his life after being bitten by a poisonous viper, but also Paul got a chance to pray for the father of a, a sick father of one of the officials of the, of the island of Malta and and God granted him healing power, and, and that man was able to, to be healed. And along with him, all the sick people of Malta came to Paul and were healed at his hand. Now, I want you to picture the image. Here's this Roman prisoner. He's a prisoner. Politically, he's got no power. He's at the mercy and hands of Roman soldiers who were supposed to take this man to Rome and, and deliver him to the Roman authorities in Rome. And here he is, protected by God's power and actually empowered with God's healing power so that he can actually heal. God healed through him the sick people of Malta. Amazing. I love what, what uh, Spurgeon said about this happy island of Malta, to have such a missionary driven to its shores to heal the sick and preach the gospel to the people. The calamities of ministers are often a benediction to the people. The shipwreck of Paul resulted in blessing to that island, which otherwise it might have missed. Let us, as God's servants, leave ourselves in the hands of God and believe that He can sometimes use us better by means of a shipwreck. Love that. Amazing in God's providence that the, the island of Malta was able to be blessed by God beyond belief through the fact that Paul and the ship were shipwrecked. Whether or not God grants healing to the sick, friends, we don't know. It's up to God. It's in His provident hand. But friends, one of the things we can do for the sick is to visit them and pray for them. Just as Paul prayed and visited with a sick father of that official, we know that our God is able to heal, and that's why we pray to God. That's why we bring those who are sick among us. We bring Him to His throne and ask for God to grant healing. 
Luke concludes this narrative of, of Malta by highlighting the honor that the people of Malta gave to Paul as they left. They, they gave him great honor and provided for all their needs. Now, friends, it's amazing. The people on that ship were shipwrecked. They lost everything when they got to Malta. The only thing they had left were their clothes. That's it. No food, no other shelter, nothing. No money, nothing. Everything was gone. And they still had a journey to embark on. It's amazing that God provided through the generosity and kindness of the people of Malta so that Paul and his companions could go on to Rome. That's where our passage, that's where our narrative picks up. This is where our passage begins in verse 11. Let's read together this text, and I just want to give you a warning. I will not finish the sermon today. As a matter of fact, there's at least two or three sermons out of this passage. I know this is the last text of Acts, but this is not the last sermon of Acts. I just want to let you know, um, so don't, don't worry. I know it's an abrupt ending uh, in the book of Acts. This, end, this chapter is, uh, ends very abruptly. Um, we will not end very abruptly um, this sermon series. So there's a few things we will tease out in the, over the next two or three weeks um, by the grace of God. So, but let's listen to the text in uh, chapter 28, verse 11. After three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria with the twin gods as a figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days, and from there we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up, and on the second day, we came to Puteoli. There we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Opius and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. When we came up, came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with a soldier who guarded him. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews, and when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, Though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because of the Jews, because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, We have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here had reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are. For with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. 
and disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers, through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear but never understand, and you will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. And he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Amen. Friends, let me pray for our hearts this morning. Father, thank you that your word has been preserved for us, inspired by your Holy Spirit, so that we may listen to it. Oh, Lord, we know that our hearts are often dull and hard to listen. Our minds are hard to understand. Father, this morning we pray that by your Holy Spirit you would speak to us. Open our hearts, open our minds. We want to submit to you. In the name of Christ we pray for his glory and honor and through the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, friends, this ending of the book of Acts has caused many questions. It seems so abrupt. It seems so unfinished. Remember why Paul went to Rome to appeal to Caesar, to stand before Caesar? The Lord himself assured Paul earlier in the book of Acts that this is why that he must appear before Caesar. And the book of Acts ends without knowing whether or not Paul ever appeared before Caesar. We, we don't know. Some commentators even say he may have never actually appeared before Caesar. We don't know. The text doesn't say. Also, we don't know what the outcome of that trial was. We don't know what the, what the decision was. Was he liberated? Was he convicted? We don't know. The text doesn't tell us. We don't know what happened after the two years that Paul spent in Rome. It doesn't say that he spent more than that or that he went on to Spain. or We don't know. Or if he died right away. We don't know. The text doesn't tell us. Interesting that, that Luke sort of concludes this story of Paul's life without telling us what the things that we would be curious about. What really happened afterwards? But, you know, that's not Luke's point. The reason why Paul got to Rome, the Lord told him, was to testify about Jesus as he testified in Jerusalem. That's the point. Remember earlier in the previous chapters when Paul was not sure if he's going to make it or not because of the, 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 the life-threatening situation against him, the Lord appeared to Paul and said, Paul, be assured of this. Just as you have testified before me in Jerusalem, you must testify about me in Rome. And Luke tells us that Paul got to testify about the Lord Jesus in Rome. Well, the end of, of Paul, the end of Acts, even though it's very abrupt, Luke wants to tell us that whatever the Lord intended for Paul to do in Rome, he got to do. There are a number of important themes that are sort of 
cluster together as into a climax that sort of make it together in this final conclusion of the book of Acts. Themes that have been going on from the beginning of Acts and actually from the beginning of the Gospel of Luke. Themes like the kingdom of God, which is ushered through the coming of His Son. Go back to the first chapter of Acts and see what Jesus was teaching His disciples after the resurrection. It's about the kingdom of God. And here again, we see the kingdom of God showing up again at the end of the book of Acts. And we see that this kingdom of God is is ushered through the coming of the Son of God, Jesus of Nazareth. Themes like the salvation of God, which God prepared in Christ, is not only for Israel, but for all people. And we see here at the the end of Acts, once again, that the salvation which God prepared both for Israel but also for all nations, is indeed going on to the Gentiles. It's amazing to see how Luke summarizes Paul's teaching here at the, book, at the end of the book of Acts. It's amazing that here we have the, lo- the longest quotation from the Old Testament in all the book of Acts. It's amazing that, God, that, that Paul is emphasizing the fulfillment of God's prophetic word here at the end of the book of Acts, even when it's negative. We'll see that later next week. It's amazing to see how Paul continued to take interest in the Jews first before going to the Gentiles. Amazing. Once again, all these themes are coming in the, together at the end of the book of Acts. And again, there's so much here that we will not cover today. But I'd like to look specifically and, and limit ourselves this morning to the way Paul gets to Rome. I'd like to look at what, how Paul gets to Rome and what he did first thing when he got there. Notice a boat giving credit to false gods. Notice a boat giving credit to false gods. Look at verse 11. It's interesting that Luke chooses to tell us some details about the actual boat on which Paul embarked from Malta to Rome. Paul, uh, Luke could have just told us that he got onto Rome without telling us much detail, but he gives us some details. I think it's important. Look at verse 11. After three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria, with the twin gods as figurehead. Why? Why tell us about a boat that had twin gods as its figurehead? Well, the the twin gods in Greek mythology were the sons of Zeus, and they were the gods responsible for smooth sailing on the sea. Well, it's ironic that this last ship that gets Paul to Rome has these two gods on it. For clearly, they have failed to protect Paul and his company on the previous ship. That's why they're here in Malta. Think, how did they get here? By a shipwreck. Clearly, these gods of Greek mythology have failed to protect them. That's why Paul was here. And who was it on, who was that appeared on um, to Paul when, when the shipwreck was about to happen? It wasn't the twin gods of Greek mythology. It was the god to whom Paul belonged. He appeared to Paul, remember, in a, in a, in a dream, in a vision uh, one night, and assured him that he will stand before Caesar and that none of the lives of that ship will be lost. It wasn't the Greek gods who were responsible for smooth sailing that protected them. It was the God that Paul worshipped, the God to whom Paul belonged. Paul's arrival to Rome is not in the hands of pagan deities, but in the hands of a good and gracious God. 
Unlike the twin gods on that boat, the true God is personal. The true God reveals Himself to us. The true God comes to us even, even when false gods fail us. The true God shows His power even in the midst of a shipwreck. The true God shows His provisions even after all is lost. Friends, this world has a way of stealing the glory of God. Things around us, society around us, has a way of, of giving credit to false gods. But the readers of the book of Acts, we who have been through the book of Acts now, we know that it wasn't the twin gods who got Paul to Rome, even though they were the ones branded on the boat. Even though they were the figurehead of that boat. Ever since chapter 19, Paul wanted to get to Rome. But along the way, he encountered many life threats. Yet twice the Lord confirmed to Paul that Paul will get to Rome. That the Lord will assure Paul that he will get to Rome. Well, here he is, embarking on the last ship after surviving a shipwreck. The irony is that the last ship he's on belongs to the twin gods responsible for smooth sailing. What a joke. <laughs> really, what a joke that picture was. If you are an informed reader, you know this is a joke. You know who the true God is. Because these gods who are branded on that boat, they're clearly, they're false. They have failed. Friends, we might laugh inside of us at this ironic picture of a boat giving credit to gods who, uh, who are responsible for smooth sailing. But how often do we fail and fall for things in our own lives who are branded with false gods that we worship today and we still give credit to them as opposed to the true God? How often we place our confidence and trust in the false gods of our day, the gods of financial security, the god of human power, the god of human happiness, the god of instant gratification, and the list would go on and on and on. And there's all kinds of ways in which these gods are branded on the things around us. Friends, God may allow shipwrecks in our lives to show us that false gods cannot help us when we're in trouble. That's why God may allow, may allow shipwrecks in life to show us that false gods cannot be there with us when such things happen. It is a God whom Paul worshipped and belonged to who truly is responsible for getting Paul to Rome. That's how Paul arrived at Rome. Second, notice something else. Notice the great hospitality of Christians. In verse 13, Luke tells us the itinerary uh, they took on that, on that journey. Uh, the, sea, the, the sea journey ended at the city of Puteoli. Uh, from there, the city of Puteoli was about 130 miles away from Rome. Most people traveling to Rome would stop their sea journey in Puteoli and from there take a a road journey to Rome. And it was about 130 miles, a fairly long distance, if you did not have a car. So what people would often do is they would stick around, linger around, refresh themselves in Puteoli, and then march on toward Rome. Well, Paul finds out that there are believers, they are brothers in the city of Puteoli. And what do these brothers do? What do these believers do? They invite them in. Now, we don't know if they invited only Paul and his immediate circle of, of believers. They had to invite also the Roman soldiers who were responsible for Paul. 
Because the Roman soldiers would not let Paul off that easily. They had to stick around. But amazing that the Christians in the city of Puteoli invited them, and they stayed there for seven days in their homes. There were no hotels. There were no public areas of, of lodging, if you will, that were very common. Um, most likely, these believers invited them in their homes. Friends, I love the hospitality that these Christian believers in Puteoli show toward Paul and, and the company, those who, who accompanied them. There's a verse in Hebrews 13 that says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. We don't know if these brothers knew who truly Paul was, whether or not he was an apostle or not. They entertained these strangers, believers strangers, and found out they're actually hosting the apostle Paul, the one who wrote about a quarter of our New Testament. <laughs> Amazing. Christian hospitality becomes even more clear when we get to Rome. The believers in Rome, the Christians in Rome, heard about Paul's coming. They, the church in Rome received his letter about three years earlier from this moment, the letter to the Romans, in that Paul had told them how much he desired to get to Rome. And actually his plans were to get to Rome and from there to, to move on beyond Rome to another ministry and and. and how Paul elicited their help, their support, both financially and spiritually, to accompany him even beyond Rome. Now, three years later, Paul shows up. But not as a free missionary. He shows up as a Roman prisoner in chains. Nevertheless, when these believers hear that Paul is coming, what do they do? They go and meet him at the Forum of Opius and three taverns. Brothers, and sisters, that's about 40 miles away from the city of Rome. It's as if you hear Paul is coming and you're going by foot to San Marcos to meet him there. I mean, that's a distance from here. I, I mean, can you imagine the anticipation, the desire, the, 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 the willingness to meet? That's what Paul sees when he travels towards Rome. He doesn't have to get to Rome to, to meet the believers of Rome because they come to him, get out of the city early, meet him about a third way, a third of the way, meet him on the way. And what does Paul do? Well, before we look at what Paul does, can you imagine what was going on in the minds of the Roman centurion who is responsible for this prisoner? Who on earth is this man who's imprisoned so that believers would come out 40 miles outside of Rome to meet him and be excited at his coming? What were the others saying when they, when they realized that, that this Paul is getting such a reception? We don't know what, what was going on in their minds, but we do know what was going on in Paul's mind. Look at Paul's reaction, verse 15. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. Even, even before arriving to the actual city, the sight of these believers of Rome, their hospitality by the fact that they actually desired to show up early, to meet Paul early, showed how, how zealous, how anxious they were to see Paul and to meet him. And what this produces in Paul, thanksgiving to God and great encouragement. Friends, this is what Christian fellowship is, is about. This is what Christian fellowship produces in us. When we get to see each other, when we get to meet new believers, when we get to see God's grace in each other's lives, we should be thankful to God and be greatly encouraged. 
Friends, when we show a desire to meet with each other, when we show an anticipation of such meetings, what an encouragement that is to others. Oh, friend, may we have such eagerness, such zeal of meeting together with the saints as we see between Paul and the believers of Rome. Paul arrived in Rome full with thanksgiving to God and with courage. Why? Not just because he finally got there, but because he saw the believers. And he saw their eagerness. That he saw their hospitality. And he wrote to them one of the greatest letters of the New Testament. Well, finally, he's here to meet them face to face. I want to remind you, these believers were not his buddies. They were not his old-time friends. This is not a high school reunion that you see people you haven't seen for ages and you're so excited to see them again. These are brand new believers. These are strangers, if you will, face-to-face, personally speaking. And yet, in another sense, they weren't strangers at all. They were members of God's household. In Christ, they were brothers and sisters, and they were eager to see each other. Oh, friends, how I pray. How I pray that the relationships between us as Christians, even here at Park Coast Baptist Church, we would have this kind of anticipation, this kind of joy of seeing each other, of meeting each other, of being with each other. Lastly, notice the reason why Paul is in chains. Notice the reason why Paul is in chains. There's many things that Paul says why he is here in Rome, but in particular, it all boils down to four words in verse 20. Why is Paul in Rome in chains? Look at what he says. Four words. Because why? Because of the hope of Israel. Verse 20, For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. Friends, it's ironic that the message of Paul was the message of hope of Israel, and yet he's chained. What were the Israelites waiting for, hoping for? Their redemption from suppression of the Romans at the very least, right? I mean, they're the most tangible oppressors. And here's the Apostle Paul enchained as a Roman prisoner and comes to these Jewish leaders and says, you know why I'm here enchained? Why I want to see you? Because I'm here because of the hope of Israel. We'll see next week. It wasn't the Romans that got him in trouble. Ironically, it's the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem who objected. And and Paul will will set up a time with them to visit with them and and explain to them. And they seem to be open to to talk about and hear Paul's teaching. The the, the Jewish leaders said, "We, we haven't heard anything bad from you, but we've heard a lot of bad things about this Christian sect. There's you're gonna have a time of talking. A whole day, we're going to look at it next week. But I want to leave you with this, with this interesting insight that Paul summarized the reason why he's in chain in Rome with these four words, because of the hope of Israel. Notice it's a hope. The message of the gospel about the Lord Jesus Christ is a message of hope. Praise be to God. 
But notice that it's not just an individualistic hope. It's a corporate hope. It's a hope of the people of God. And notice that it's a, it's a hope of the people of God in the Old Testament. It's an ancient hope, dear friends. It's something that, that God has revealed to the old, people, old Testament people very, very long time ago, and now He's finally fulfilling it. And we'll look next week as, as, as the way God is fulfilling this hope of Israel. But I want you to, to remember that Paul thinks of, of the reason why he's in, is in chains is because of a hope. It's a hope. That's what Jesus is about. It's a hope not simply for you as an individual. It's a hope for the entire people of God. It's a corporate hope, meaning that our salvation is not only for us as individuals. Our salvation is for the people of God. The message about Jesus is an ancient hope promised a long, long time ago. If you understand, if, if we want to grow more in understanding the message of salvation and what it truly signifies, read the Old Testament promises of God. Read through the prophet of, of Jeremiah, prophecy of Jeremiah, when, when Jeremiah prophesied that God will bring about a new covenant, not like the covenant he did with Moses. And here earlier in the service, we celebrate the Lord's Supper and Jesus announced on the Lord's Supper, my blood is the blood of the new covenant, the hope of Israel, the hope of the new covenant. Or read through the prophecies of Ezekiel when God promised Ezekiel through the prophet that he will resurrect the dry bones and that God will open the graves and raise his people from the dead and God would put his spirit on them so they could live. Christ is the firstborn from the dead. The, the grave of Christ was the first one opened by the very hand of God, by the power of God. Amazing. The hope of Israel is fulfilled and ushered in through the person of Jesus. Or think through the, the prophecies of Isaiah who promised that God will not only bring His people back into their promised inheritance, but that actually God will bring about a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness will dwell. God had promised that, that the heavens will be scrolled up like a scroll. Amazing promises, amazing hopes in the Old Testament. What does the New Testament teach? And Paul said in 2 Corinthians, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation already. Amazing. The hope of Israel is in Christ Jesus. Oh, friend, if you understand the richness, the rich tapestry of our salvation, read the Old Testament. Read the promises that God promised and gave the Old Testament people and all of them are fulfilled and ushered in through the coming of Christ. Oh, what a, we could stay here until evening, until midnight, and talk about that. We won't do that today, but we will do it next week. Hopefully that gets your attention. But notice how Paul got to Rome on a boat that gave credit to false gods. Notice how Paul got to Rome being welcomed by the great hospitality of Christians, both in Puteoli and the Christians of Rome. And notice how Paul got to Rome in chains because of the hope of Israel. I pray, friends, that that hope would be ours as well. If you don't have that hope today, I'd love to talk to you at the end of the service. Because every believer, every Christian 
You don't have to be a Jew to have the hope of Israel in you. You can be a Gentile and still have the hope of Israel in you. Because everything that God promised to the Old Testament people are things that God is ushering in, has ushered into Christ and is giving to his big people of God, which is both Israel and the Gentiles, all those who turn to Christ. It is Christ who is the hope of Israel. It is through him that both Jews and Gentiles have an access to all the promises of God, to all the inheritance of God. So friends, rejoice and be hopeful. And if you don't have this hope, Come and talk to me at the end of the service. I would love to talk to you so that you can depart from this place having this hope of Israel in you. Let's pray. Father, we praise your name. We praise your name that you are a mighty God. You know how to protect your servants. You know how to provide for your servants. You know how to instill in us a hope that is unperishing, a hope that is ancient, a hope that fulfills the promises that you have given to your people, to the patriarchs, to the Old Testament people of Israel, and now to all those who by faith and repentance turn to Christ. Oh Lord, for all those who have turned to Him, we pray, would you continue to strengthen in us that hope? Would you make the yearnings of, of your promises in the Old Testament come true in us again? May we understand them May we appreciate them. May we treasure them in Christ Jesus. For those among us who might not have this hope, oh Lord, we pray that this day you would open their eyes, their hearts. Put in them a hope that no human being will take away from them. That no shipwreck of life, of life will, will diminish. Father, we pray that you would bring in and usher in that hope, that ancient hope you have given your people long ago, that you would bring that about in the hearts of many, even today. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Praise be to God for the hope of his salvation. God used a lot of irony 